This podcast episode is brought to you by Offbeat Communications, a media startup that levels up your storytelling with end-to-end production of content videos. Be it product launches, events, or feature interviews, amplify your brand and personality with a video to show. Happy to say that there's no other people leading this besides your host, Matt and Lance. You're sure to experience the same level of production, hosting, and creativity as what you're used to. Konting mas kenkoy lang kami dito ni Matt. Mga ka-Offbeat, let's bring your content to life. Inquire now in Facebook and Instagram at offbeatcoms.ph. You can also hit us up in email offbeatcoms.ph at gmail.com. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Project Off Podcast, the show where we tackle the most unconventional careers out there that are not usually in your corporate office, right? Today, Matt, uh, we have a special guest. Uh, basically, he is the co-founder of White Box Research, which is a nonprofit initiative that aims to develop more AI safety researchers in the Philippines. Very interesting, Matt, because I think AI has been the talk of the town for the past few months, right? Both the pros and the cons, how it helps you do work, but at the same time, how it you know displaces a lot of jobs as well, right? So maganda mm-hmm. tong ginagawa ng ating guests, right, for the show. Um, and Matt, I think our guest is also the group support contractor for the Center of Effective Altruism. Um, so big words, Matt, but basically EA or Effective Altruism, <laughs> which is the main career that we will be calling it today, right? It's basically a philosophy of using evidence and reason for you to do the most good with your life or with your career. Deep shit, Matt. This is deep shit, okay? So, I do remember back then in, in the COVID times, uh, I was actually looking for ways to become a bit more than the corporate slave that I am, no? And that is when I reached out to our <clears> guest <throat> and asked him about this initiative in EA or Effective Altruism. So, ayun. Uh, how are you? Are you excited about this, Matt, uh, for our show today? No, There's a lot to unpack. First of all, when I heard about effective altruism, I mean, I know altruism as a concept, as an idea, right? But I didn't know that there's going to be like a nonprofit organization that's specifically for this. So I'm kind of curious, like, what is it all about, Deba? Exactly, exactly. Anyways, so without further ado, Project Offbeat fans, Project Offbeat, Offbeat, you know, let's bring into the show Brian Tan. Hey, Brian, welcome to the show. Good evening. Hey Lance, it's great to be here. And hey Matt, uh, yeah, I'm honored to be a guest of yours. Awesome. Brian, first of all, uh, long time no talk, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, you're always around the world, no? Uh, but we're glad to have you here in the Philippines, at least for this, uh, you know, episode. Talk to us about, you know, where you are right now. How's your state in the Philippines, right? I think you just mentioned you came from the U.S. to attend uh, a conference for EA, right? Uh, so, yeah, where where is your state right now? Uh, yeah, so I'm at home in uh, Binondo, Manila. Uh, I've lived here ever since. Um, yeah, I came home from a two-week trip to the U.S. Uh, I attended the Effective Altruism Global Conference in Boston uh, in late October. Uh, so yeah, there were four Filipinos uh, in this conference. So yeah, I I really like these effective altruism conferences. We get to 
learn about pressing problems and um, schedule a bunch of meetings with people working on uh, yeah neglected problems. So I was very focused on having meetings with people in the AI safety space. Now that I'm starting a new nonprofit with white box research on AI safety. Um, and uh, yeah, I also uh, got to, I also went to uh, the San Francisco Bay Area to meet with some AI safety professionals there and, and EA professionals. Um, but yeah, I'm good. I'm glad to be back here in Manila and yeah, looking forward to doing more work here with um, yeah. White Box Research, also helping out a bit with EA Philippines and wrapping yeah. up my work at uh, CEA. Yeah. Ganda, Brian. No? Um, I, I want to slowly unpack the words that you used in that answer, mm -hmm. right? Um, obviously, there's a lot of people that do not know what is effective altruism, right? Or EA in short in this episode, right? Can you break that down for us, right? Maybe imagine me and Matt is our, our nine to ten year old kids, right? Uh, why the heck? Why do I? Sh why should I care about effective altruism, right? Yeah. So uh, in three words, uh, and I have a visual aid with me. Wow. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, uh, effective altruism. Uh, I'm holding up a book called "Doing Good Better" for those listening in. So yeah, this is uh, yeah. What in one way that people talk about effective altruism is yeah ea is about doing good better uh so it's about trying to figure out what are the best ways to help others in the world and how can we put those into practice so a big part of ea is research so it's kind of basically like a research field where there are people trying to figure out what are the best what are the most pressing problems to work on and what are the best solutions to uh, make progress on solving these problems. And so uh, what's also great about EA is it's a global movement and community. So there are over, uh, there are around 400 effective altruism groups around the world. Uh, and um, many of these groups are in universities as student organizations. So there are EA groups in Harvard, Stanford, Oxford, um, uh, and also here in Manila, in, the, in Manila, we have EA groups in Ateneo, uh, UP, and La Salle. Um, and so, yeah, these EA groups and uh, are introducing people to the concepts of effective altruism. And um, the two two main ways to apply EA are, you know, how can you have more impact with your career, and how can you have more impact with uh, your donations? So that we can wow. do a hundred times more good maybe if we find wow. the charities to donate to or the right jobs to work on. And I think that's what's, um, yeah, effective altruism makes you yeah. want to think about, yeah, how can you do more good with your careers or yeah. with your career or donations? Brian, napaisip lang ako, right? Um, how, why, why did the word better even come to play, right? Because Honestly, if I do something good, I mean, I feel good about it already, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like, hey, you know what? Maybe this is it for, for the month or, you know, my quota lang ako, right? Doing good is, you know, not, not as easy as well, right? But why did the better word come into play, right? Are we doing good incorrectly in this world today, right? Uh, paano yun? Yeah, good question, Lance. So 
yeah, I think something people don't realize is that um, they think maybe that uh, they're like many ways of doing good are, you know, very similar to each other in terms of impact or that, oh, okay, if we do a bit, that's already enough. But like in, in many ways in life, right, we, we want to do more, like we want to achieve more in our career. We want to have better careers, better lives. Yeah, for sure. And so there's lots of people who are, yeah, want to optimize how they can do more good and they can get a lot of happiness out of it. I get a lot of happiness trying to figure out how to do more good and taking action on this. So uh, yeah, like, um, so yeah, if you find the right charity to donate to that, for example, is um, giving vitamin A supplements to children or tackling a neglected health intervention, for example, you could, uh, the same amount of money you donate to them could end up, you know, saving uh, 10 children instead of mm -hmm. just one child um, nice. for, for like a certain amount. Yeah. All right. Brian, I, I do have a question though. Uh, you know, altruism is is uh, outside of this organization. It's it's kind of this way of life that you can commit yourself to, right? So I assume that a lot of people kind of want to do a lot of good in this world, no? But I guess what's the difference between effective altruism, the the organization, versus maybe even um, the other organizations that we already know? So, for example, if I just donate to UNICEF. If I donate directly to these charities, isn't that the same thing? Or like, how does effective altruism, the organization, help better uh, the efforts? I guess. Um, what's if the I difference? I may add, Matt. Parang even with churches, de ba? Pag nagdonate ba ako sa church, ganon nared. De ba? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, these are fair questions, and yeah, I think um, yeah, for people who donate in general, right? Like. That is a yeah. uh, a good step already to like yeah I think uh, yeah a lot of people don't uh, donate or don't donate a lot of money um, so even donating uh, helps and um, yeah like uh, through EA I think it's this thing where it's actually uh, only like there are a small number of charities or a small number of interventions that end up doing way more good compared to other interventions so mm -hmm. like if you for example, donated to um, a nonprofit that helped develop uh, a vaccine that ends up saving lots of lives. Then, like this is, uh, yeah, like w donating to that could be much more impactful compared to donating to uh, an average charity. And so, yeah, it's more on okay, maybe if you donate to this charity, you do ten units of good or you uh, improve the world <laughs> in a small way. Um, but no, through maybe. other ways, you yeah. could like one thousand x or 100x your amount of good. And I think for data-driven or um, yeah, people interested in uh, optimizing things, this appeals to them a lot. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of careful research needed to do to identify these interventions that do a lot of good and uh, the charities that do good in them. Of course, this also mm. is in careers where what's, what's, the, what's like a big problem in the world uh, to, to, to solve and uh, how can you use your career to more directly solve that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -mm. Parang, I, I never thought of it this way, Matt, no? Because parang doing good seems so subjective. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, you don't even think about it, man. Right? You donate, you feel good, you help people, right? But uh, this sounds like a very nerdy way to take it, but I think it's a very much needed route to take. Because in yeah. all of our other careers, we want to be data-driven. 
So why can't we be data driven in something like doing good, right? I mean, I think nowadays, even in YouTube, they teach you how to be happy um, in a data-driven, process-oriented way, right? So, yeah, I mean, I think this is very noble of you guys, uh, Brian. No? Uh, earlier, Brian, you mentioned this career of being an effective altruist. Um, you, you do a lot of research, right? Can you take us through your day-to-day? Do you do like convincing people? You know, do you do evangelism, diba? Or it's really more of the nitty gritty data crunching that you have to do um, to you know propagate this philosophy of effective altruism. Yeah, so I'll talk about when I was working full time on EA Philippines in 2021. Uh, so yeah, I was um, maybe to talk first about that. Yeah, I was working as a product designer at First Circle, a fintech company in the Philippines. And uh, yeah, the, the COVID pandemic uh, happened. And yeah, I was figuring out how I can have a career more directly into effective altruism. I, I had co-founded EA Philippines in 2018 with uh, two other Filipinos. Um, but yeah, like uh, COVID made me realize there's these big neglected problems that uh, EA was actually looking into. And then it, it suddenly like, yeah, like, this threat of a pandemic could actually happen and affect us all. So, so yeah, that motivated me to want to work on EA more directly rather than just donating uh, through a bit of my salary. So yeah, I decided to apply for a grant to work on uh, EA Philippines as its main community builder. And yeah, I was happy that I got uh, funded for this grant from CEA where I, where I currently work. Um, and so in EA Philippines, uh, what's good is that EA has already done a lot of research. Um, of course, this is research is more on a global level. And of course, uh, in me starting EA Philippines, I wanted to uh, know about, okay, what are the accessible ways Filipinos can do more good, both in terms of donations to local charities and to what careers they could enter. Uh, so yeah, one project we did was um, trying to figure out what are the best local charities uh, admittedly, like this is a, a difficult task. Usually, you need like, you know, um, uh, yeah, full-time researcher on this and people with a bit more experience, and you need to uh, get the right data from charities. Um, but through, you know, just a bit of like uh, shallow research, and we looked at some existing research done by uh, exist like other EA organizations abroad. We we, we found a few names um, of charities that could potentially be very cost-effective in the Philippines. Um, around the health and poverty alleviation space mostly. And so aside from this, we also looked into, you know, what are the best career paths people can enter from the Philippines into, uh, yeah, to, to do good. So one yeah. big one is um, this concept of charity entrepreneurship. So we all oh. know there's for-profit entrepreneurship, um, but mm. yeah, there's non-profit entrepreneurship or charity entrepreneurship where uh, you can, Oftentimes, there's like a very effective intervention that actually um, no one has really started yet in the Philippines. And so you can be a, an innovator by um, applying for funding, let's say from EA donors, um, and then starting this charity locally. And so it's been great to see that uh, a few charities have been started by EA Philippines members um, yeah. over the last two or three years. Brian, you know, I can't help but think, NGOs are those careers na acceptable sa EA, right? Or government work or public servant, right? 
uh i don't know man could you give some some examples here and there right what what are those careers that are you know a bit, a bit more uh doing most good yeah yeah so i think uh yeah the career paths in ea can be quite varied so yes like working in the government can be uh very impactful mm -hmm. if you um work in the right areas uh so yeah if you're able to work for uh department of health and um improve their systems or Ooh. launch uh or like um roll out this better intervention uh then yeah. that can be a lot of good uh if you uh working at ngos so it's about working at uh effective ngos and so part of our research was trying to figure out some of these effective ngos to work for um yeah. a couple a few examples are innovations for poverty action which does research on Whoa. um poverty alleviation and mm -hmm. development mm -hmm. uh interventions there's id insight uh yeah. and so so there yeah there's a few ngos to work for um but yeah there's other off-beaten uh careers you can also enter to do good work um you could become an ai safety researcher uh which could involve going into academia or working at an ai lab uh or you could um be uh like earning to give which is uh taking uh a, a, you know you're if you're already in a corporate job or uh, some job than just donating 5% or a certain mm, wow. percentage of your annual income yeah. could also mm. already do a lot of good. So um, yeah, like nice. you don't necessarily have to switch careers to, to do more good. Yeah. Because the new PCSO. Oh, come on. <laughs> PCSO. <laughs> Uy, charity, may charity sa pangalan, di ba? Hindi si Brian, no? Hindi <laughs> nakasalita si Brian sa PCSO. <laughs> uh, so, Brian, I, I kind of want to uh, rewind a bit, no? Uh, it's obvious, it's very obvious that, I know, that uh, you know what you're talking about. You know how the career pathways that people can go to, what they can do with their money, what charitable organizations to um, to donate to. Uh, but before I we ask you about how you evaluate these charitable organizations and measure their impact, though, I kind of want to go back to the philosophy of altruism. No, uh, how did you latch on to this, and how did you discover this philosophy? How did that lead you to then uh, find effective altruism, the organization? Yeah, so I was uh, a, I was a second year university student in Ateneo. And I was organizing uh, a boot camp to introduce people to tech careers in Ateneo. And yeah, I had a Facebook friend who he was a key staff member for a Philippine senator at the time. And so I met him before at an entrepreneurship event. And yeah, he 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 saw I was organizing this boot camp. So he just sent me two messages like, hey, have you heard of 80,000hours.org? This might be relevant to your career design at your, your boot camp. So, yeah, I went on this uh, website, 80,000hours.org, and yeah, I read this career guide they had on how you can spend your 80,000 hours in your career uh, to, to do a lot of good. You know, how can you do more good with your 80,000 hours? And yeah, I really enjoyed reading this career guide and found it very interesting and useful. And it's through this guide that I learned, yeah, there's these big neglected problems in the world. Uh, and at the time, I was interested in tech careers. Um, and, uh, you know, um, working at startups or starting a startup, but like not all problems in the world can be solved by starting a startup. 
Uh, and so, yeah, I was I was very interested in EA from then. Uh, Eighty thousand hours uh, is part of the EA movement, and um, yeah, I I tried telling a few friends about EA, but no one was really interested back then. <laughs> out of my friends, um, and yeah, it took like a year later. I was in fourth year. Uh, yeah, starting my fourth year in Ateneo, I was like, oh shit, you know, I'm gonna graduate in a year's time and I need to figure out my career better. So I started reading this career, this the 80,000 hours guide more and I got more interested in EA. And yeah, I searched uh, EA uh, Effective Altruism Philippines on Facebook and uh, a Facebook page was newly started for EA Philippines. So yeah, uh, this, uh, yeah, Kate Lupango had my co founder uh, started this page, but she hadn't organize any events yet. So uh, I messaged the page and I met with her and two other people uh, interested in EA. And so together we started organizing monthly events. Uh, so you know our first event was just in a small condo meeting room, eight people um, discussing EA. Uh, but yeah, over time it slowly grew that um, yeah, we would get mo uh, more people attending our events. And um, yeah, that's things just started getting better after that yeah you've come a long way no uh from a condo to boston right <laughs> i mean uh... <laughs> yeah i think the ea movement uh broadly has also gone a long way exactly. since then yeah. right yeah i mean i think it's very commendable brian and and the team of eaph right because you mentioned you just basically someone you know reached out to you messaged you with two messages right Unlike now, where if you want to know more about EA in the Philippines, very relevant. It's always there already, very accessible. You mentioned you are in the three uh, biggest universities in the Philippines, in Ateneo, La Salle, and UP. Right? So if you want to do good even while you're still young, right? you already have those chapters in place. right? And of course, even if you're a professional like me and Matt, you have EAPH to actually do all of these events, right? So truly, truly great job, you know? Um, thanks for doing this, man. Uh, I hope, you know, people continue to, you know, uh, drill down on it, right? Continue to grow in it, right? Because I think you mentioned you're leaving by December, right? To focus more on AI safety, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, thanks for, you know, at least starting that foundation uh, of EA in the Philippines, right? Um, yeah, thanks a lot, Lance. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, yeah, of course, there's, uh, yeah, I'm excited for what's next to happen with EA Philippines. Um, yeah, I've, I'm less involved now at EA Philippines. Um, but yeah, I'm still like advising things and, uh, yeah, looking forward to what happens next. Beautiful. Uh, Brian, I think, uh, my next question would be, um, let's just say in an idealistic, hypothetical world, right? Um, and given you have one power that a genie would grant you, um, how would you, what power would you ask that genie to make EA more understandable to people, right? Because it's not an easy concept, and it may be that a concept where people would say, atinista ka eh, ba? Kaya alam mo yan, or, or interesado ka sa mga ganyang philosophical, you know, um, life-provoking questions, right? Pero if I'm just a day-to-day -day commoner, you know, I'm just going around with my life day-to-day, -day, how would you bring EA to them, no? Given a genie would grant you any power in this world. 
yeah, that's a very interesting question. Um, so I think one thing I would try to do is to instill this concept called uh, scope sensitivity. Um, so uh, I know that's, an, that's those are another two big words, but uh, it's this idea that we need to more viscerally feel when uh, when the number is bigger, when the scope is bigger. So because you know, I think there's these um, quotes, right, where a single death is a tragedy, a thousand deaths are a statistic, and um, a lot of people don't feel viscerally when, um, like, when yeah, these everyday deaths happen, when preventable deaths, like people dying of malaria or of of people still dying from uh, COVID or the flu, even, and um, these things that we kind of forget. But if we actually felt the right emotions when these big tragedies happen, or when we fail to prevent uh, a tragedy, uh, like I think that would just give make people more motivated to work on these problems. Of course, that's very difficult, right? Because um, yeah, we, I, uh, it's, it's, it's a very hypothetical scenario, but yeah, I, 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 I would hope that um, people can train themselves to think about this where, um, yeah, that uh, when you see these big numbers happening um, or when you see that this intervention is doing more good, like how can you actually feel that more and try to pursue that more? Yeah. Ganda. Yeah. Parang siya nung COVID, right? I mean, the first five people victimized by COVID, kilala mo pa yung mga pangalan, right? Mm-hmm. But then when it's already scaling up every day, di ba? Ibang klaseng increments na, people just stopped tracking altogether. And it's just a statistic, right? And nice, nice. Um, it's very interesting, you know, you, 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 what you mentioned about code sensitivity. So, um, Brian, I was, uh, let's get back to, I guess, how do you decide which charitable organizations kind of merit being, you know, featured, I guess, in the roster of, of EA, you know? And how do you measure the impact afterwards? Um, we're, if, if we're talking about money here, obviously, it's going to be a very sensitive subject. Uh, how do you communicate to your stakeholders as well? Yeah, so... Uh, the first thing is figuring out, is this charity working on a uh, big and neglected and solvable problem? So, yeah, um, yeah like, so yeah, I, I'll, yeah, EA, one framework people in EA use uh, to uh, prioritize uh, causes to work on is, uh, yeah, this framework of looking at, um, like, the importance, neglectedness, and solvability of the problem, you know? So, yeah, how big is it, how neglected, and how solvable? And um, through this framework, you some some like some causes come up as being very important to work on. So, firstly, like uh, global health and development, where yeah, m- uh, many people are still living in extreme poverty and um, can't uh, afford basic needs or have or die of preventable diseases or have uh, health limitations because of their yeah because of one reason or another, and so. But there are actually cheap interventions that you could donate to or that you could implement to improve lives significantly. Uh, and aside from global health, there's uh, this more, even more, this, there's this more niche cause of uh, animal welfare, specifically yeah. of farm animals. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, there are um, yeah, millions, uh, there, there are yeah, millions or billions of uh, chicken and fish being uh, slaughtered um, in the Philippines every year. And if we can find ways to improve their welfare 
or if we can cut down on our meat consumption in our diets, that improves um, animal welfare. It also makes it uh, uh, cut down on carbon emissions. So aside from animal welfare, there's also uh, pandemic prevention, specifically like worst case pandemics yeah. that could like uh, kill 50% or more of the population. Exactly. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, yeah, there are nonprofits working to make sure we have better biosafety practices globally to make sure there's not a lab leak of a dangerous pathogen or that people aren't playing around with dangerous pathogens. And then, yeah, one more cause is that I work on now is AI safety. So making sure that the development of AI goes well, such that uh, we won't have large catastrophes if the AI goes into the hands of, yeah, goes into the wrong hands or an accident happens out of it, or uh, if we end up not being able to control future AI. So of course, yeah, that's, this, that's, that's like uh, figuring out first, like what, are, what, is the, what is a good cause to be supporting. Um, and so, yeah, that, that actually means there's like hundreds of effective nonprofits to potentially donate to um, across these cause areas. Uh, but um, like, you'll have to figure out what cause is um, good to work on. But of course, it's very difficult, right? Like, how do you compare animal welfare versus global? Yeah, no, I was about AI to ask, safety? like, um, how do you know? Yeah, yeah so, so that's that uh, in some ways you kind of have to uh, just rely on okay what what like either what is what is what do you think is personally best or like what are, what are some assumptions you make um, and so yeah to to I think like for people who want more certainty in the impact they want to create they tend to donate to global health and development charities because AI safety and biosecurity uh, are more speculative causes to work on right it's like oh you're trying to prevent this fifteen percent chance of AI uh, causing a large catastrophe, for example. So yeah, you have to make judgment calls here. And so like once you pick a cause, now you're trying to find, okay, what are the best interventions or solutions to, to uh, for example, in global health and development, it's yeah, how do you save lives cost-effectively or how do you improve lives cost-effectively? And uh, yeah, there's like research in this space. Um, thankfully, a lot of it is done by uh, this organization, givewell.org. So they yeah try to search for the best charities globally, and uh, they recommend a certain set of charities. Uh, yeah, mo uh, on, like none of their top charities uh, operate in the Philippines because actually like yeah you can do a more good with your donations. Um, like trying to save or improve lives in countries in in other uh, low and middle income countries. Um, but like EA Philippines, yeah, we we did try to look into local charities as well that could be cost effective to donate to. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, we, we, we have some like preliminary findings on that. Yeah. 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 That's very interesting though. No? Uh, you mentioning that, uh, you know, the, it, the charities, you know, that if you really want to do the most good might not be, you know, in the Philippines where possibly, you know, people would think I'm maybe from a first world country, I want to go to a third world country like the Philippines and help poverty there, right? When technically, diba, um, research says that meron pang mas kalangan mong tulungan, right? So yeah. that's very interesting. Uh, Brian, I want to ask as well, uh, you know, I have this doctor friend and, you know, in, in a coffee chat that we've had with him, he sometimes asks the question, why do you corporate people uh, want to try to do something more impactful, diba? When as a doctor, parang hindi niya naman nararamdaman yun, right? 
And I think it's mainly because obviously you help people every day. You cure people every day, right? So that kind of most good thing is already innate within them. So my question to you is, is EA mostly or predominantly for the corporate people in the offices, you know, who might have more resources but are lacking in that emotional component, no? Or that fulfillment component, right? Like me and Matt, diba? Um, What's your take on that, you know? People that have worked with EA, ano yung mga usual demographics? Yeah, so, uh, you know, ideally EA would be this very, uh, you know, would be practiced by a majority of the world. Um, but until, you know, like, of course, that, that would be um, like, yeah, there's many facets of EA and uh, that can be difficult. But yeah, in terms of what uh, audiences it resonates with, uh, I guess so far it was easier to, um, uh, yeah, seed uh, student chapters in the top three universities. And so the people who, who join these uh, are student chapters in EA Philippines. Uh, they can come from like development studies background uh, or um, uh, like yeah, STEM backgrounds and um, like people, yeah, who uh, there there are some management and management engineering people who who join uh, these organizations. But yeah, it, I think like it appeals to a broad set of people because there's many different facets of EA that could attract someone. And yeah, it's made up of different cause areas. So it's possible people get attracted to one specific cause area rather than the EA more broadly. And so if it's AI safety, then that appeals to the computer science uh, majors. Um, but for mm-hmm. biosecurity okay. or global okay. health, then it's people with health sciences backgrounds, for example. Um, and yeah, we uh, yeah we even people in government uh, or interested in government work are attracted to work uh, on EA Philippines. And yeah, we also have um, people who do uh, executive assistant or virtual assistant work Mm. um uh who yeah they actually work for ea organizations abroad and they got into ea through working for these ea orgs abroad yeah interesting so it's based on the problem pala talaga right so kahit anong career ka you know there could be a problem that's very relatable to you right yeah so yeah. that's that's very interesting uh i i, I want to segue to you mentioned earlier you were working on AI safety now for White Box Research, right? Which is this yeah. initiative that you guys co-founded. Um, and I guess, can you share about why you drilled down specifically on this EA initiative? Um, is it only purely because of personal preference, diba? Or, you know, what is AI safety to you uh, as a person? Yeah, so um, it's a mix of uh, personal and, like, EA factors, right? So, um, uh, I mean, of course, broadly, yeah, like I, I really want to figure out how to make the most impact with my career. And uh, yeah, I, I was, I think I was not learning as much anymore in my current job at CA. Like I, I enjoy it broadly and I'm happy I get to help EA groups around the world uh, with operations tasks I handle. But yeah, I, 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 I started to get worried more about AI safety uh, when ChatGPT got released in December uh, last year. Yeah. And I, yeah, I had heard about uh, AI safety as a problem uh, through EA, where they think um, advanced AI in the future could end up uh, potentially even, uh, it's very grim, but yeah, it, it could potentially uh, kill all of humanity or even uh, make our futures go really badly. And, um, and so like, yeah, this is like a very fringe topic, but 
uh, I, I did read, um, you know, a couple of books about it and read the research about it. And yeah, it seemed like this not, you know, there, there's like a not, yeah, there, there's some chance that this could happen within the next 20, 30 years. But when ChatGPT got released, like I got to feel uh, and, and, and interact with the system, you know, that can write a poem in a few seconds or uh, can write code uh, like when the March GPT-4 got released, it can now write code uh, well. And, and yeah, that, that many people in the EA community globally also started to get more worried about AI safety. And so I was thinking of how I could switch careers to work more directly on AI safety. Um, and yeah, I was able to meet, I, 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 there's a, some people in EA Philippines who are interested in AI safety and they have tech, technical backgrounds, like they're into coding. So I met with two of these people who I, I, I knew of them previously. And yeah, we just started brainstorming together. How do we contribute to AI safety? Uh, where, yeah, the Philippines doesn't have, you know, a large AI ecosystem yet as compared to the US or UK. But uh, how can we leverage strengths of the Philippines to contribute to AI safety? Uh, and even just with how, you know, it's, it's a, there's, if, uh, yeah, like, you don't need to pay like we don't need high U US or UK salaries to produce AI safety researchers. And we have the networks locally in top universities to try finding you know, uh, these hidden uh, geniuses who could potentially contribute to AI safety. And so, yeah, we, we ideated this training program uh, that, yeah, our first project at White Box Research will be a training program to do AI uh, a specific form of AI safety research called AI interpretability research. So trying to make sure these AI systems uh, are more understandable to humans and we understand how they work on a granular level. Um, yeah. Because uh, yeah, the, 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 the crazy thing is, yeah, ChatGPT can do all these amazing things, but you can't actually explain uh, why it's doing what it's doing. Like, <laughs> you know the broad level, but you won't know, oh, okay, why can it, uh, like yeah, ChatGPT cannot spell backwards the word Dolly Pop, uh, but it can like write code that is like really, so, yeah, it can't it can't do this. Uh, <laughs> Google. Do this. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. That's very very interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you, I, I never thought about it. I mean, you always see the end product. Oh my uh, God, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> he's right. I just yeah. freaking checked it. <laughs> yeah, that that is very cool, no? Uh, that is very cool, Deva. Right? Uh, why you guys have to break down what's already working in front of you, right? Which is ChatGPT, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of like this this game, online game before about. Uh, so the example for the online game was um, it was a car uh, driven by AI. Then it's going to hit has a possibility of hitting two people so one could be a man one could be a woman it has to make a choice who, who does he hit right? uh, the other aspects could be there's an old woman and a criminal who does he hit first so parang, uh, it's I, I hope that's kind of where uh, you're you're pointing at no na hopefully this training module is around that which makes us understand more what AI is trying to do, especially how it integrates into our daily life. Uh, it might not be perfect, but at least we understand how it works. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, these AI systems, 
people are these AI companies and and the, the you know many the uh, big parts of the world they there's a huge interest and rush to deploy AI in all facets of companies and there yeah but we don't even fully understand why it does certain things so that that is that makes it harder for us to trust that these models are going to be used to uh, you know that that there won't be large amounts of harm from doing them like um, mm -hmm. yeah there's people who there's research being done that uh, these large language models um, uh, like ChatGPT can actually help people build a bioweapon uh, or um, yeah, things like that. And so even if OpenAI uh, or these companies put these safety filters into the models, it's actually not that hard to take them out or to jailbreak them in order to help have it help you do illegal things or things that are hard, yeah, like even just helping you scam someone. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, Brian, earlier you talked about you know, you guys doing a program this quarter one, right? Coming up Q1 2024, right? Uh, and I can't but help but notice uh, when I looked into this program, no, it 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 wrote that it was an eight week program, right? Um, so, medyo I would think hindi siya ganon kadale, right? Hindi siya ganon kadale to actually understand how these models work, right? Um, why do you think you know? I mean, maybe if you could show, give us a preview of you know, how that eight week will go, right? Just for anyone that's listening, that sort of wants to get uh, an idea of, you know, how to break this down and how to learn more about, you know, AI, right? Um, yeah, talk to us about that. Yeah, so um, we see the eight weeks as just giving you the fundamentals to get started with AI interpretability research. Uh, so if, of course, if you want to um, get better at this and, to become an AI interpretability researcher, you'll need more than eight weeks. So actually our full program is we'll have this eight week trading program uh, and then afterwards, so so we're, we're looking to accept 10 to 15 people for this program uh, and it's gonna be part-time. We'll meet every Saturday for like 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's gonna be quite somewhat intense that way. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're looking for these, uh, you know, people who are extremely curious about AI systems and how they work. And uh, yeah, this is gonna be a free program or uh, basically free program. And um, uh, so after this eight week program, uh, there will be uh, like a three to four month uh, extended training phase or research phase where uh, we'll, we'll work with around uh, five of the graduates of our training program and yeah, help them find a mentor to do more interpretability research and that will also support them in doing this research so that they can publish a paper in AI interpretability and contribute to this field globally. And so, yeah, through the eight-week program, it will um, it be very hands-on. So there will be a lot of uh, coding work involved because uh, with interpretability, we want people to, yeah, get to know these uh, AI models deeply. And so um, they're going to need to understand yeah, how to build their own mini uh, chat GPT, for example, like a very mini version, because it's, of course, difficult to build the whole version. Uh, but after and then through uh, with, within the eight weeks, we want people to probably uh, replicate uh, uh, a research paper in AI interpretability. Uh, so once you know, once you can replicate or, or do the same, find the same results as a paper that helps you in the future build on those results to have a new finding on and build to the, our understanding of these models um, yeah 
Interesting. Very research heavy din pala siya, no? Um, uh, yeah, and yeah. coding, somewhat coding yeah. and math heavy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Shit. Very tough stuff, Matt. <laughs> man, man, yeah. that's, that's tough, no? Yeah. Uh, sige. Uh, my next question, um, Brian, no, is uh, in an ideal world, uh, what do you think should be the safety practices that immediately must happen no, um, in the world of AI? Like, you know, if you could give us a few, you know, uh, sneak peek, no? Um, ano ba dapat? How do we safeguard, no? Or, you know, what must be in place uh, in, in the utilization of all of these um, AI programs? Yeah, good question. So one thing that's, uh, yeah, a good thing that's happened within the last month is that there's increased interest from uh, governments, specifically the US and UK and even China, to regulate mm. uh, AI. So, wow. yeah, right now there's not a lot of regulation specifically for AI. And um, now there's, uh, yeah, increased interest, like there's, um, uh, yeah, policies being worked out to make sure that these best AI models uh, are will actually be regulated, that uh, maybe companies need a license to, uh, to develop these large models and that they need to uh, undergo a third-party auditing and evaluation. Because if, if you just have the company uh, yeah. You know, self-evaluate themselves. They can cut corners. regulator. Um, I see. Yeah. So, okay. In the same way that you know, in when we're trying to launch new medicine, there's lots of testing first that happens. It's kind of crazy yeah. that there's not as much testing uh, that's legally binding of these AI models right now when they can touch yeah. so many lives. So, um, with more regulation of AI companies, uh, that can make things a bit safer. Uh, of course, increased uh, funding for AI safety research uh, would be great. So now there's the UK government is uh, having an AI safety task force. It's a government approved research to uh, really try to push forward AI safety, yeah. especially evaluating AI systems. And uh, another thing is actually um, like potentially banning uh, open source AI models that are like, you know, very really? powerful. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that, that can be quite surprising where lots of people are in favor of open source uh, yeah. and it helps push innovation. But the problem with open source is, yeah, when you uh, let anyone be able to build these powerful AI models through open source, uh, you can't control what it would be used for as much exactly. as compared exactly. to if it's a closed source. And so, yeah, yeah. This, this happened where, yeah, Facebook uh, released this AI model uh, that's open sourced and it has safety filters in it, but because it's open source, it's easy to take out these safety filters and mm. you can use it to, uh, you know, uh, do things like scam people or generate hacks or other things you don't want an AI model to be yeah. doing. What do you think should be the principles behind these um, safety regulations, right? Um, when I say principles, is it something like, okay, maglalagay tayo ng regulation to ensure that let's just say jobs won't be displaced. Like the human is always more important than the machine. Just for example, no, badly put. Um, any principle there that you have in mind that you think should be at the forefront of any AI safety regulator discussions that we, we have there? Yeah, so uh, it's about like 
how how sure are we that when we uh, train a better AI model, how, we need we need to make sure that we have the uh, safety uh, safety policies in place to uh, build that type of model. So actually, what, even one thing is if you if you train a super powerful model, but your uh, security practices are bad, like some someone could just hack it out of your company and then yeah. you know like do harm with it, for example. Correct. And so. Correct. Like you need good information security, cybersecurity practices, for for example. Um, so, so actually, there's this thing where um, it's kind of clear how to improve models. But these these companies like Google and Microsoft, they're worth billions, uh, nearly a trillion dollars, right? So they have a lot of money they can put into training the next model. And they, when they train this next model, they have to make sure that um, like they test this heavily and that they make sure have we. Uh, thought of all the ways that this model could be unsafe for the world and yeah. have we made sure we un, like we we can uh, we've put in the right amount of safety filters and the right amount of testing and that uh, no one someone won't just steal this or we're not going to open source this so there's lots yeah. of things to put in and sure. um, yeah I think that uh, one thing also is these companies aren't thinking a lot about um, job displacement as much I think where um, they're kind of leaving it to governments and society to figure out what to do with Shit, these. Man. And, and oh, you know, it's, uh, there's already research about copywriters and graphic designers exactly. who are uh, having less revenue because it's so easy now to generate a logo or have your text be proofread by AI. Yeah. Um, and so I think there needs to be more understanding of, okay, when we build this model, is it safe? And when we release it, what will the implications be? I'm I'm just I'm glad that you're in this uh you're in this battle for AI safety, you know? <laughs> Uh that's very important, you know, to have uh someone with also an effective altruism background. Because like you said, you know, there's a lot of people that wants to go into an AI career, but not necessarily the safety aspect or the security aspect of it. Right. So it's good that your your team is there to also balance it out, right? Uh, given all of these new careers, I mean, I mean to be fair, if there's anyone I want to go into AI, to go into Web three, let's say it's going to be people who are into effective altruism. So, kind of would want to encourage more people to go into it. Um, let's say, I guess, if there were a lot of people like who are not into it right now, what would you say are the core philosophies or core things that they can do? Like right now, right at this second, that they can practice their effective altruism. Um, yeah, yeah. What any tips maybe, maybe, you would? I know. Maybe Brian, you have a book there, no? Uh, <laughs> again, another book. I have two other books. Uh, there, thank you. Um, but yeah, so that's a good question. So yeah, what's one of the best ways to? Um, like more deeply understand effective altruism in a short amount of time, like two months, is to join an effective altruism, like an intro to EA fellowship. So um, yeah, we have these, um, uh, our student chapters uh, have these eight week fellowships. They're kind of like discussion groups where, yeah, you have a facilitator uh, from the student group uh, who, and like five participants who, where you have to read, uh, let's say like one to two hours worth of readings or videos and about EA topics and then you discuss them together to learn about uh yeah like 
what is this general framework of EA? Um, how can we pick the right cause area to work on? Uh, what is scope sensitivity, the thing I just described a while ago, and going into these specific cause areas that seem like they could be very impactful to work on, like global health, animal welfare, AI safety. So yeah, I, 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 I very much recommend people to try to join these fellowships. So I think EA Blue and EA UP Diliman uh, hopefully will be, yeah, I think they, they'll be running this fellowship next semester. Um, and uh, there's also, if you are not able to join those, or actually if you want a more global perspective, there are uh, virtual uh, fellowships uh, that the Center for Effective Altruism holds, where you can discuss this with people abroad, actually, mm. um, about these EA concepts. And so aside from that, yeah, there's uh, books and podcasts to listen to to learn more about EA. So yeah, there's this Doing Good Better, that book that you can read. Uh, and aside from that, there's the 80,000 Hours website and podcast. So 80,000 Hours has this great career guide on how you can do more impact with your career. And so, yeah, I recommend that a lot. Um, yeah, they also have a podcast where they interview these uh, top people in EA fields or organizations, including AI safety researchers, biosecurity researchers, people who work in government. Of course, these are people mostly abroad um, or, yeah, uh, yeah, this, this focus on people abroad. Um, but yeah, you can also get in touch with EA Philippines. So um, yeah, we're in a bit of a transition phase currently and are busy trying to uh, fundraise more money for the next year. Um, but yeah, you can reach out and uh, we'll uh, yeah, help you figure out your next steps. And um, yeah, there's also trying to learn more about effective giving. Um, so there's a website called givingwhatwecan.org, which teaches you or shows you effective charities to potentially donate to, um, yeah. Brian, how about in um, in AI safety, right? Uh, I guess, how, how do you get started there? Like maybe a YouTube channel or on a, a website that you'd recommend, you know, uh, that people can, you know, look out for? Yeah, so um, there are TED Talks about it, both EA and AI safety. So um, yeah, they're, uh, I think, yeah, there's a TED talk by Stuart Russell about, uh, yeah, how we could uh, lose control of AI and how we can control AI. Um, and uh, yeah, there's, um, there's, yeah, there's white box research uh, where, you know, we hope to give the skills needed to actually contribute to AI safety. Um, but uh, yeah, there's also uh, a similar fellowship or discussion group. There's a website called AISafetyFundamentals.com where you can apply Yo. to join um, a virtual fellowship to learn okay. about AI safety. It's free. It's um, You can get paired with people around the world. It's mainly for people yeah. with a, 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 a computer science background. Um, and yeah, like for now, yeah, you can reach out to either EA Philippines or White Box Research as well. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yep. All right. Thanks. Um... A couple of cues, I think, Bry, is a bit more on your on a personal side, though. Um, and I think we'd like to sort of close with these two questions, right? Um, I guess for me, uh, you know, as maybe for our student listeners, we also have a couple, no, uh, of them that listen to our podcast. And let's say they wanna, you know, hey, I wanna be like Brian, you know, the way he thinks, the way he exposes himself to different global perspectives, right? But I also want to share to them, I guess, the other side of the coin, Brian, right? 
um, what were the sacrifices no, um, that you personally had to make? You know, you mentioned as a sophomore, you know, you'd had to learn from different people as well, global people, did hackathons, right? All of, that, all of these sound, you know, impressive, but I'm sure there were a lot of sacrifices as well that you had to take. And even now, right, you could easily possibly bag maybe a six to seven digit kind of tech job, right? But you're going for these kinds of careers, diba? Uh, I don't think um, uh, I would bag a seven-digit tech job. Nipa, <laughs> hindi pa for now, right? <laughs> but hindi pa, right? But but you get me, right? Um, what are the sacrifices that had to come in play? I guess to also warn the people that will be entering into this field. Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, I think being interested in something niche and something that very few people understand or appreciate, of course, can be isolating or alienating. Um, but I guess to me, like, I was quite uh, fine with that. Like, it was, uh, you know, I, I was interested in, yeah, I, I was not afraid to be into this niche thing. And I was happy to tell more people about it, get more people interested. Um, but yeah, like, it's more unstable in terms of uh, your job security in EA where uh, when I was first applying for a grant for EA Philippines, um, I only got funding for six months and it wasn't even a full-time grant. It was like 24 hours a week. Um, and, uh, but yeah, through like, it at least like uh, paid well, like good, a good enough salary that I was willing to leave my job at First Circle to, to do this work. Um, thankfully, they uh, did increase the grant funding and uh, gave me a longer time frame. Um, but yeah, like in these nonprofits, um, especially on an early stage, you tend to be given like one year grants only or even a bit less. And so, yeah, you will have more anxiety knowing, okay, am I going to get this next grant? Did I have enough impact to show that these donors think and trust me that uh, I can, that this, this project I'm working on is very effective? And so, yeah, that can be daunting. Um, and yeah, of course, like, it's difficult to engage with EA when um, most people in EA are abroad in, um, yeah, like more developed countries. And so it can, you can have imposter syndrome exactly. Um, exactly. trying to navigate this space. But I think if you get to know people and you have the right mindset, you ask questions, you, you, you find small ways to contribute, people are very willing and happy to help. And that's yep. really exciting. And people, people in EA want like a more diverse uh, movement where people from the global south can contribute because yeah there's lots of uh, talent and interest as well in these areas um, and yeah like I think it's it's yeah I think the main sacrifices have been um, yeah like job security and a bit of financial security like even at white box research um, where we're, we're still doing a bit of fundraising um, but yeah I wanted to take the leap in um, doing this even without uh, like having a lot of funding yet for our white box research, um, yeah. I think of course, like uh, I, I'm, I've, I've become very busy with all these EA projects, juggling these things. So um, that does like uh, I have taken sacrifices to uh, my social life or family life. But of course, oh, yeah, I, I, I still try to um, catch up with friends here and there, and um, I'm hoping at least next year I'll. I'll just be focused mainly on white box and yeah. I'll have more time to um, have fun. Yeah. 
man. Good luck with your um, journey, you know. Uh, I mean, what they say, uh, the, the biggest, the greatest people, you know, often have the loneliest journeys, right? Uh, it's usually lonely up there thinking of all of these things, right? So, yeah, man. Uh, good luck to you, right? Make sure to keep up with that social life, that exercise, you know. Uh, I gotta hang up with Lance. You know? <laughs> there you go, there you go, right? <laughs> hey, I don't even have much of those uh, kinds of life, right? Uh, Brian, my last question to you, and uh, Matt, feel free to also ask later if you have any. But Brian, my last question to you is, um, all of us here, three of us, are all Chinese-Filipino, Chinito, Chinito people, right? And, uh, you know, there will be those talks in the dinner table where they would say, you know, that our generation is a bit more idealistic, you know, is a bit more, why do we even bother ourselves in thinking about, like you mentioned, these neglected problems that our global world are currently facing, diba? Right? So I guess I want to ask, right, how did you sort of navigate through that. No, I, I, I'm not sure if you have a family that is fully supportive of you or you might have aunts and, and uncles as well that may have challenged that notion of you already deciding that path. Right? How did you do it? You know, Because a lot of people are you know, telling you money is the most important, security is the most important, right? Thinking about your future is the most important, right? Yeah, um, great question. So... Uh, yeah, I think I'm like lucky and privileged where I, I don't have, I'm not pressured to like provide for my, my parents or siblings. Um, and I still live with my family. And so I have a lot of, yeah, I have less expenses to pay for. And, um, yeah, my family has, my parents have let me try to figure out what I want to do on my own and haven't had strong opinions on what I should do. And uh, that's great. And so, yeah, I've been very interested in, um, yeah, charting an offbeat path to my life uh, for a while now. Um, so, yes. yeah, I was first interested in startup careers, which are, yeah, you know, less understandable to um, my family and relatives. And yeah, but of course, with EA, it's even less uh, understandable. And my parents will probably still struggle to explain what EA is. Um, but uh, yeah, I think they see that uh, I'm very interested and passionate about it, and that um, you know I'm uh, still able to go to these conferences abroad in EA and uh, have fun and a lot of fulfillment through these. And um, yeah, they've yeah they they they're supportive of it, and um, yeah, I I think like I'm I'm okay with like you know being in something that's just harder to explain like that's what happens sometimes and yeah. like um i think like uh you know i still um like make you know compromises here and then and i'm not like trying to influence my family so much like i would focus on my work and i yeah. kind of try to separate things out more yeah awesome i could just imagine uh you know, the mom and dad of Brian, you know, talking to their fellow comares and compares, and they ask about, oh, so what's Brian been doing the past few, you know, the past few years? Damn, it's going to be tough to explain EA, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, so 
that's that's very interesting no um if you were the president of the world let's say what is the number one problem that you would want to solve as soon as possible like what is your number one priority the thing that you care the most about solving what would that be yeah that's a good question um yeah i i think it would be around the realm of ai where um i think we on our current path, we could have human level AI within um, 10 years or less. And that's going to be a very jarring, scary path when AI is in charge of doing, you know, large parts of the economy. And I think we need vastly more resources and attention on this problem of AI safety and how we can navigate this transition to, to human level AI. Um, maybe that means actually um, you know, slowing down AI development, even if that may make it, you know, like even if that may mean it would take a few years longer until we, um, you know, develop new healthcare technologies through AI or um, find new ways to help solve climate change through AI. I think that could actually be worth it where we make sure we have the right safety policies in place and the right mindset to approach this um, dizzying scenario where we are gonna we're we're gonna have human level AI or if not human level AI like very good AI as the years go by and um, we need to make sure we navigate this transition smoothly into um, this world where we can coexist with AI well. Awesome. I'm surprised awesome. by that answer actually. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I would think like what uh, poverty or climate change. But wow, AI. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's not big uh, a deal. I think AI could also help all of these problems very much. Yeah. Where, um, yeah. yeah, like uh, generally technology improvements have raised living standards quite a bit. Of course, there's still a lot more work to do. Um, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, if uh, quite a number of people in EA think AI safety is the top problem to work on, and we could be wrong. And of course, this is more on neglectedness where, um, yeah, it is more neglected compared to, for example, climate change. Uh, yeah. And so that's one big reason it could be worth investing in. Yeah. Awesome. Brian, I think that's about all the questions that we have. Uh, thanks, man, for joining us in this off the beaten path and this episode, right? Uh, you know, it's been it's been a, it's been very fun. To actually listen to someone that may sort of feel the same way that we do sometimes, right? Well, I mean, why the hell are we spending so much time to cover so much of these offbeat and careers, right? Um, and for you, even more, no, um, offbeat and organizations, charitable organizations, right? So, uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a thrill. You know, I want to ask um any anything that you're excited about that you want to plug in the show before we leave. Right? Anything that you want to like promote uh, to anyone listening? Um, yeah, maybe just to wrap up a bit on what you said. Like, yeah, I it can potentially feel lonely, right? Like, I mean, um, but actually, yeah, in in EA, thanks to the EA Philippines community, and if or if it's the AI safety community, like it it doesn't have to be so lonely. With with uh, yeah, if you find a few people in your university or in EA Philippines that. Uh, are interested in a specific cause area, like it, it won't feel so lonely 
And I think it's going to be about, you know, these big societal changes. Uh, often you have to be that first one who does something less popular in order to push forward change. Um, and so, yeah, in terms of what I'll plug, uh, yeah, we have, uh, I'm, we, we at White Box Research are going to open applications soon for our uh, White Box AI Interpretability Bootcamp. Uh, that's what we're tentatively calling it. Maybe we'll change the name in, by the time this comes out. Um, but yeah, like our, our White Box Bootcamp will be around February to April and uh, applications for it will likely be out in December. And so, yeah, we're looking for people aged 18 to 25 in Manila or yeah, can attend these sessions in Manila uh, in QC or Pasig, and that um, yeah, we 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 want to um, yeah help you learn more about AI interpretability and become a great interpretability AI, AI interpretability researcher. So if this resonates with you, if you're very curious about AI systems and you want to make sure that we navigate this change into human level or superhuman level AI safely, then yeah, I'd encourage you to apply for our program. Uh, we have a Facebook page at White Box Research. We'll soon release a, a, a website at whiteboxresearch.org. So yeah, that's all. We'll Thanks so much, Lance right. and Matt, for yeah. uh, right. if having they me on. Contact you, if they want to contact you, uh, what's the best way? Uh, yeah, so you can uh, email me uh, at brian at whiteboxresearch.org. Um, you can also add me on uh, LinkedIn or send me a message there. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, Bri, uh, for joining us. You know, thank you, Kaofbeat, for listening to this episode. And we hope you learned a thing or two about effective altruism and AI safety. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.